Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the Rachman Review. I'm Gideon Rachman, Chief Foreign Affairs Commentator, a role that often takes me abroad for conversations with some of the people, diplomats, policymakers, writers who are shaping the global debate. As a columnist, most of my discussions are off the record and then used as background for my articles. With this show, however, I'll be getting more of my contacts to go on the record so that listeners and subscribers can join the conversation. This edition of the programme comes from Brazil, I'm actually on holiday here, but I took the opportunity of being in Rio de Janeiro to visit Celso Amarim, who I first got to know when he was Brazil's ambassador in London. He went on to serve for seven years as Brazil's foreign minister under President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, popularly known as Lula. Amarim cut a considerable figure on the world stage, and he was even named as the world's best foreign minister by Foreign Policy magazine. He and Lula represented a country that seemed to be aligned to a group of rising powers known as the BRICS, an acronym for Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa. But Lula's Workers' Party, the PT, has fallen from power, partly as a result of a massive corruption scandal known as the Car Wash Investigation. And the new Brazilian government is led by a radical right-wing president, Jair Bolsonaro, who's much closer to the United States than to Donald Trump. E me coloco diante de toda a nação, nesse dia, como um dia em que o povo começou a se libertar do socialismo. Celso Amarim's view of the new Brazil is scathing and inevitably partisan, given his own political roots. So later in the year, I'll try and get a view from the Bolsonaro camp. But for now, sitting in Celso Amarim's flat in Rio, overlooking Copacabana Beach, I wanted to know how he saw the rise of Bolsonaro. Bolsonaro was a non-entity. He was a deputy of a lower house in Brazil for almost 30 years. Never had an important project. I was Minister of Defense. He never came to see me, for instance, to ask for something. His act was more like a trade union leader for the lower echelons of the army. That's what really he did. And of course, he always defended everything against homosexuals, against gender equality, against everything that you think it's civilized values, mm. he would be against. But he came to the absurd of saying that a woman who was in Congress said that she didn't deserve to be raped. So what I'm terribly worried, as I said, is that there is a degree of sickness in Brazilian society that makes someone like that acceptable. That's really what bothers me more than anything else. How do you account for his sudden emergence, though? Because he's, as you say, 30 years in obscurity, and suddenly he's president. He has some charisma with these people, and the security problem is a real problem in Brazil, especially for these lower middle class, and even for the lower classes that live there. So people say, well, 
Rosie is so bad, I agree he's a bit crazy, but maybe we need a crazy person to eliminate the politicians and so on, because the interesting thing is that although it was mainly directed against the left and against Lula, the, the whole thing of the car wash operation, the, the anti-corruption, but it, of course, somehow spread for a lot of the political class. Nothing very serious happened to the traditional members of the political class, but anyway, there was a lot of suspicion in relation to them, and the fact that he was an outsider, I think, helped. And in the end, the anti-Petit, anti-left sentiment prevailed in a way that made Bolsonaro the sole candidate who was seen as able to win from Lula. Okay, so Bolsonaro has been in for a year. Are you worried that he could do something irreversible to both the Brazilian democracy and to the legacy of Lula, the kind of social reforms? Or do you think this is just a bad time from your point of view that you'll have to live out and in a couple of years' time you'll have the normal swings of democracy and your guys will come back? Well, in history, nothing is irreversible, but it will take time. It will take time, but I think it can do a lot of damage if people that are not getting the, the, the scholarship, because, for instance, you don't have black people in the university. I think this kind of thing will aggravate the social conflicts in Brazil, which are already very much existing. And in our relation with the foreign world, so to say, Brazilian economy is becoming more and more dependent. Brazil's industry is really almost nothing. When you talk about the, the head of the Federation of Industries of Sao Paulo, who apparently wants to get into the party of Bolsonaro, what does he present? He's just a broker. Some people point to particular reforms that he's doing or talking about, like allowing, say, the military or the police to be more free in their use of firearms, that kind of thing. Yes, maybe it's unlaw and disorder that's being done, but it's certainly violence. Violence against the poor people. I'm not saying that all of them is devoted to good people. There are bandits also that are killed, but that's not the way to deal with the thing, you know? There is a real problem, which is a real thing, and maybe that's one of the criticisms that the, the left may have to do because we try to think, well, this is only a social problem. Okay, it's a social problem, but I mean, we can't take 30 years to resolve. So there's some things that have to be done more immediately. And he has support in, in what we call these militia. I mean, the, these are kind of vigilantes that they exist. Turning to the international scene, I mean, you tried to position Brazil in a particular way. It was the rise of the BRICS and so on. How do you think Bolsonaro has changed the orientation of Brazil in the world scene? Well, Bolsonaro, I would say two things. His natural tendency and what he wants to do is total subordination to the United States and in particular to Trump. That never happened in Brazil before. Not even in the worst periods of the military regime, we saw such a total submission to the United States. That's really his thing. And I could quote you many examples. The most recent one was the support given to the assassination of General Soleimani. And it's not up to me to defend Soleimani, but I mean, the way it was done, it was really an act of war, an act of state terrorism, totally contrary to the, the international law. And mind you, the only other leader, important organization that uh, gave the same kind of support was the Islamic State. <laughs> so it is said that this is part of combating terrorism and the, the organization that is considered terrorist by the United Nations supports that action. So that's his natural tendency. On the other hand, 
Brazil is too big. Brazil has too many needs. You know, we sell poultry to Arab countries, we sell grains to Iran, we sell a lot to China. So that somehow is a counterbalance to Bolsonaro's actions. You mean, so for example, when Bolsonaro is very, very pro-Israel, but some of the business people here, for example, would be worried about the commercial implications of that. Oh, yes. But again, now he supported the Trump plan. So it's true and true. His idea was to move the embassy to Jerusalem. But then he saw the reaction was so big. And, you know, the only kind of bourgeoisie that we have in Brazil now is the agribusiness, to be honest. They support Bolsonaro very much. They have supported from the beginning because they hate the people who fight for land reform and things like that. But even then, they see the danger of losing the markets in the Arab world. Brazil is the main exporter of this halal. halal media. Yeah. So this is one thing. The other thing is that, for instance, when he needed some other country to participate in the auction of one of these oil exploitations, he had to call the Chinese because no American company was coming, but the Chinese were very clever and very pragmatic. They say, well, let us have our foot on the door. And they came. And now he went to India, for instance, because he was invited. So I think whatever he can do ideologically, he does and is very bad. In relation to Latin America, it's very bad. All our efforts for integration, the creation of a South American organization, which had nothing to do with Chavez. Chavez was a minor actor in that. And he was an actor, but Brazil was the major actor in that. So he abandoned that. Then Brazil is now withdrawing from CELAC, which is the whole of Latin American and Caribbean, when Mexico is directing it. Well, Lopez Obrador may be slightly left-wing, but he cannot be accused of communist or whatever. So whenever he can act in an ideological way, where he has his space, he'll act that way. Supporting the coup in Bolivia, things like that. But then, of course, as I said, Brazil is too big. Our main market is China. The Arab countries are among the main markets. Russia is a prospective, very important market, which was growing and continues to grow. India, not today, may be a very important market, but the prospects are very, very positive. Africa, although he hasn't gone to Africa yet, which is something, for instance, Lula at this time of the year would have gone already 10 countries in Africa, I don't know exactly. So I think there are aspects in which reality imposes itself. But uh, you say it's always at the price and always not in the best possible way, always losing opportunity. I mean, the most important thing that we're losing in foreign policy, to be quite honest, is not so much the markets. I think, of course, the markets are important, but it's credibility. Brazil was the only country, except the U.S. and Israel, which always hold together, who voted against that resolution condemning the embargo on Cuba. The only one, not Poland, not Hungary, not the Philippines, not Colombia, because that's not a resolution on Cuba, it's a resolution on international law. And this is very damaging for the Brazilian credibility. Brazil had credibility with different sides. Now it's important. Brazil can't mediate anything. Mm-hmm. That's why I say that this case now with Iran, in the case of the Middle East, the best thing that Brazil can do is stay away. We talked a little bit about the rest of Latin America. This has been a year of incredible turbulence in Latin America. In this period of turbulence, Brazil's the biggest country in Latin America. What does Brazil stand for and what do you think Brazil should be standing for? Well, Brazil stands for anything that means backwardness. 
people say conservatism, but it's not true. It's not conservatism. It's going backwards, backwards in relation to labor laws, backwards in relation to social security, backwardness in relation to racial relations. They don't declare themselves racist, but I mean, in Brazil, if you don't do anything, you become racist because the market works that way. I mean, the market doesn't put uh, black students in the university. You know, it requires law. So I think all these are getting, we're going backwards in terms of support for the Bolsa Familia. So what happened in Chile is very interesting because what happened in Chile was a fatigue with this new liberal. But I think this in itself will take time in Brazil to show. There is a, a time lag there, which I don't know exactly how it will work. On the other hand, Argentina and Mexico are influential countries and they are going into a different direction. So we've got this odd thing of Brazil getting out of the CELAC, this Organization for Latin American and Caribbean, when Mexico is at the helm, which is odd. Normally, even in a, I would say, in a right-wing government in Brazil, it would stay and try to act uh, to defending its ideas. So there is a, a sense in these people who are in government of even self-isolation, of being self-righteous, I don't know. But I think sooner or later, the feeling of how these measures are affecting the population will come to Brazil. And sooner or later, also part of our elite, who likes to be well-considered in France, well-considered in England, well-considered in the United States, will be feeling the isolation of Brazil and how Brazil is being seen. So last question then about that. I suppose some of the new elite would say, well... Now, let me say, everybody was proud of Cardoso and proud of Lula in different degrees. Lula had much more success outside. But anyway, the two, no reason to be ashamed of our leaders. Everyone is ashamed of Bolsonaro. Even the people on the right? Even the people in the right, not maybe the evangelicals, not maybe, let us say, the entrepreneur of some supermarket or something like that, but even industrialists, even people of higher middle class, I think they are. So I guess, the, and this is the last question, the response of the Bolsonaro people would be, well, people like Celso Amarim don't understand what's happening in the world because Bolsonaro is actually associated with a new world order, which is epitomized by people like Donald Trump and Duterte in the Philippines, maybe Modi in India. It's a new style of populist nationalist politics, and he's in tune with that. Of course, there are points of contact, but Bolsonaro is above all a caricature of Trump. You know, in the Middle Ages, there was this book about the imitation of Christ. Now is the imitation of Trump. He tries to imitate Trump. But when you come, for instance, to someone like Marine Le Pen, she didn't want to be associated with Bolsonaro. She said, oh, no, 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 I don't have anything to do with him. Because, you know, there is a degree of bluntness, of lack of elegance, of bruteness in relation, for instance, to environment that even these people don't like, even these for whatever reason, but they don't like. Probably for opportunistic reasons, maybe one or another country may like him. And I wouldn't exclude that China has a good relation with them, by the way, like Modi, like India. But I, it won't be a relation the way that, that was possible with Lula or possible with Cardoso, not possible. And the most fundamental factor, of course, will be the election in the United States, because I don't think Bolsonaro was, there were a lot of creation about imperialism and influence, but Bolsonaro was not the creation of the deep state in the United States. As I said, Bolsonaro is a kind of opportunistic virus. I think there's a different kind of right wing, maybe Moro, Judge Moro, who is now the minister, is more like the chosen one 
from these forces of conservatism, but which have some degree of, let us say, not being so rude. Well, yeah, no, tomorrow you can see at Davos he's very smooth. People say, yeah, oh, yeah. they relate to him, whereas Bolsonaro not. Yeah, that's it. That was Celso Amorim, the former foreign minister of Brazil, and that's it for this week. I hope you'll join me again next week. And remember, if you don't already subscribe to the program, you can do so in any podcast app. Just go to ft.com slash Review. Culture Call, the Financial Times' transatlantic culture podcast, is back for season two. Join us, that's me, Griselda Murray-Brown, in London. And me, Lila Raptopoulos, in New York. We'll be getting together to interview the people breaking new ground in culture. We're also making sense of the trends shaping life in the 2020s. And we'll bring you behind the scenes of the FT's award-winning life and arts journalism. In our first episode, we chat to Marriage Story's Noah Baumbach. So hit that subscribe button and let's discuss our way through the most exciting cultural moments of 2020 together. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.